Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May of 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast. On the left. (laughs) That's when the cannibalism started. Well, we are recording off the City of Angels, uh, off the Pacific Coast here in the studio. I'm George Norrie. Today we have expert Dr. Cheesecake Melendez. Tell me, uh, skinwalkers spending so much time in the desert, should they be using moisturizer? <laughs> Welcome to the last podcast on the left, everyone. I am Ben Kissel with Henry Z- with Henry Zabrowski in Los Angeles. I was just with him in Los Angeles this week, but as always, as usual, I'm with Marcus Parks here in beautiful New York City. It's actually a nice day. It's a beautiful day. It's 55 degrees. I'm on top of the world. Absolutely. I tell you what, speaking of skinwalkers, every single night my wife is gone at the casino. I check her closet just to see, just for the hope of seeing some form of pelt, either coyote. <laughs> Or Fox, so I am allowed by law to put a bullet in her mouth. Oh my goodness, George Norrie taking a turn to the dark side. Tell me I can't wear my wigs to the family reunion. Well, it's a beautiful wig you have, Mr. Norrie. Thank you so much for joining us today. Skinwalker Ranch, that's the subject of today's episode. This will definitely be two parts. Okay, so the subject of the next couple of episodes, and this has been a long time coming. Folks have been asking for Skinwalker Ranch, and you know what we do here? Like the Lord, actually I'm going to say, like the opposite of the Lord, we give you what you want. (laughs) We don't just take away your best freaking friends. Okay, we're not doing that right now. We're not doing that. Jesus Christ. No, this is, this topic is obviously one that we've been wanting to do for a long time. But a lot of people have had a lot to say about the Skinwalker Ranch over the years. And so a lot of times when you see a lot of people talking about it, it's just been like, well, what last podcast, what can we offer? What can we offer to the scene to the right. paranormal studies talk about Skinwalker Ranch? But you know what I've discovered really what it comes down to it is that this gave us an excuse to read about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Because we have to work it into work. Mm-hmm. So that we can then devote our entire week to it. And man, oh man, I love being up to my pert fucking sweet dimply nipples in Skinwalker Ugh, Ranch. Dimply yeah. nipples? How is that even possible? <laughs> How can you have a dimple Damn. and a Look nipple? At 
In any nipple? Yeah, Look see. at how many divots it's got. It's oh, like a, a little divot. moon. No, that's like, it's like a, a putting grain after a hailstorm. I can make it that all is... stand up when I rub the oh, top right. of you it like I'm Angelina Jolie. You are just doing that to Henry and to Marcus and I. Awesome. And by the way, I do want to say I watched a lot of YouTube videos. Then I came in and I was like, I've got some pretty good information. And then Marcus said, oh, yeah, all the YouTube videos are wrong. So, ha-ha. <laughs> right back to where we started. Well, Skimwalker Ranch is a 480-acre area of land that has been home to some of the most fascinating paranormal activity of modern times, featuring phenomena that runs the gamut from UFO sightings to orbs to poltergeist activity to cryptids to cattle mutilation. It's got all the shit. And it's absolutely spooky because here at the show, when we want to do paranormal <clears> topics, so the big thing that we always hit, the wall we kind of hit, is is it been flagrantly debunked? Is there a point where it's like it's completely, totally fake? Right. Skinwalker Ranch and all of the stories involved with Skinwalker Ranch still have the ability to crawl under the skin, sort of like my acting ability. Absolutely. <laughs> now, with the cattles that are mutilated, uh-huh. they still, they still trying to sell those to, like, White Castle? <laughs> Do you think they're like, ah, oh, the meat's still good. It doesn't matter if it doesn't have any eyeballs and its tongues in its butt. Well, most of the meat is gone, and the butt is gone most of the time. Ah, oh, the butt's gone. But we'll get into that later. Okay. Well, the asshole's gone. Yeah. <laughs> oh. The well, rump is still there. Yeah. Okay. Which, for me, is the more important part. I mean, like, I'll get at the asshole eventually, but... I always start with the rump. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, although the activity in the area has been present for decades and still occurs to this day, most of the more disturbing activity occurred in the 90s and involved a family known by the pseudonym of the Gormans. <laughs> oh, man. Three feet to, for all of them. <laughs> <laughs> this is a fucking it's a pseudonym kissel. Yeah. It's why they changed their name legally from the Stumpum. <laughs> yeah. Gormans. Maybe they were just eating a lot of chili one day and we're like, oh, maybe come we on. should just call ourselves the Gormans. <laughs> well, the Gormans were down-to-earth Mormon cattle ranchers who moved to this isolated area of Utah for nothing more than solitude and business. Instead, they became a part of one of the more famous modern paranormal studies, witnessing phenomena so credible and disturbing that the government has taken interest under the possibility that what's going on out there might be a national security threat. They say, quote unquote, it might be a quote unquote national security threat. But I believe they look into the Skinwalker Ranch because they believe that they're leaving high tech money on the table. But we're going to get to that next week. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. But it is also a fact that the story of the Gormans was a victim of embellishment in the 2005 book, which brought the story to everyone's attention. That book being The Hunt for the Skinwalker. George Knapp! George Knapp! <laughs> George Knapp! He still fucking got it. He's got a full head of hair. He's really? out there drinking BLs. Really? He makes a couple of jokes and a couple of speeches about how he, he's like, uh, but you know I love the craft beer here, wherever city he's yeah. in. So he knows <laughs> to hit it. Because he fuck, he loves it, and he looks like it. He likes a cigarette, and he likes a windbreaker. Oh, yes. Lakefront Brewery in Milwaukee. Best craft brewery you could ever go to. But as the so-called Mr. Gorman told the author of the Utah UFO display, even though there are some embellishments, there are no outright fabrications. Hmm. And the fact remains that people other than the Gormans have seen unexplainable things since. Okay, corroborating witnesses. A lot of corroborating witnesses. But Skimwalker Ranch is only a part of this story. The entirety of the Uinta Basin 
located in the wilds of eastern Utah and spanning about 75 miles from east to west, mm. has been a hot spot of paranormal activity for centuries. I mean, I get it, man. You're from out of this world. You want to go to a beautiful location. You don't know anything about our religious practices, some religions being weirder than others. Utah's the place to be. Yeah. Because it's just geographically, it is gorgeous. Well, the funny thing is, is that some people do think that the reason why there are so many UFO sightings out there is because of the people's capacity to believe. Oh. And, you know, we'll get into this deeper and deeper, but there's this kind of concept that, we're, that UFOs and paranormal activity are a, it's a circuit. We're completing, the human brain completes a circuit that allows them to exist, which is interesting they go to a place that's so absolutely, it's the, almost the opposite. There's nobody there. Because yeah. so many people were so freaked out every single time they tried to live in the Uinta Basin, especially the earlier original indigenous peoples, they would go over there to live and be like, oh, no, no, this is <laughs> the creepy factor is up to a nine there. <laughs> Henry, you mentioned the words deeper and deeper, a little inside joke from side stories, deeper, deeper, <laughs> deeper, you hear that deeper, story, Marcus? Deeper. I haven't, I, I don't even know the fucking, I, 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 the listeners know the joke better than I do. It was a 455-pound dude. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. He was on a plane and he had to deal with uh, the to Yeah, do now I remember. Yes. <laughs> well, the thing is about the Skimwalker Ranch episode, though, we're not going to try to give you a bait and switch here. We, just like everyone else, have no answers when it comes to what is still going on today at Skimwalker Ranch. All we hope to do is give you a history of the various phenomena surrounding it and occurring within is just the eyewitness evidence, even if it is embellished, makes this among the more fascinating cases around. Awesome. This this episode, right, These <clears throat> this series, it brings me back to what I, I missed about even just the older days of doing Last Podcast, where it's like most of my research was about sitting back, fucking putting some kush on my fucking lips and popping on the coast to coast and just letting letting these stories work its way into your brain, man. You got to fucking get into a headspace to enjoy. Like, just imagine going to Skinwalker Ranch. Yeah. Just fucking got some soft pants on. Got your bubbler, <laughs> man. Sativa for the daytime. And you got some hybrid for the nighttime. Well, now, I don't know. How is your research practices change uh, I'm, I'm fairly certain that there might still be some shatter in your brain no yeah i come to the office though oh i see <laughs> well, what goes on in this place is truly mysterious and at the moment totally unable to be understood but it is undeniable that something is happening there and it's also undeniable that there's some sort of intelligence behind it See, when you hear the words Skimwalker Ranch, it makes you think this might be just another cryptid tale, just as I did before we got into all this. Mm -hmm. And rest assured, there will be plenty of cryptids represented. Thank God. <laughs> but we're not saying that the intelligence is Bigfoot. Nor no, he's we... the manpower. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nor are we saying that the intelligence is Native American werewolf witches. Oh, I love that. Native American werewolf witches. Yeah. Native American werewolf witches. <laughs> if I ever develop a stutter, I'm, good, I'm going to say that over and over and over again. But both of those things are also involved. But they're just consequences of the phenomena. Overall... This episode isn't about Bigfoots, or UFOs, or poltergeists, or even skimwalkers for that matter. Hmm. This episode is about what it means when all of those things happen in the same place at the same time. Love Something it. that's happening, Skinwalker Ranch is just the beating heart of what is happening in the Uinta Basin. Hmm. The, the amount 
of activity that has happened mm-hmm. since the since the white dude showed up for the first time and heard their old stories, and then shit started happening to the old white dudes, and all this kind of stuff that's played out till now. All of this activity seems to be kind of centered around this one 480-acre space. And they're saying, and a lot of the stuff we'll talk about even more so in the second episode, is that what if this is a thin place? Yeah. A lot of the mm. people that grew up there, they say that this path, the reason why it's called Skinwalker Ranch is because it's on the path of the Skinwalker. And what does that even mean? Are they going from one realm to another? It's this weird interdimensional highway that now also not only just features like all of the phenomena we're talking about, but eventually people like Robert Bigelow showing up with all the acronym spook dudes with CIA, DIA, all these people showing up like in the middle of it, and ooh, it's a thick ass soup. You mm-hmm. gotta follow the Bigelow wherever he goes. It sounds like a sort of a paranormal activity, Field of Dreams, the classic Kevin Costner film. And now, of course, I'm thinking about Bigfoot at up to bat, and then like a big brain man and it's is pitching, and then they got a whole this team, and it's kind of fun. Who knows what they do when the people aren't around? And then they're like, oh, we gotta call the game. There's some other weird. Utahian around here. We got to go scare them. Are they no, dude, Utahians? they're making eggs. The Bigfoots are making eggs and watching the baseball, the Bigfoot baseball games themselves, just having a nice time, but it's all underground. Oh, I see. <laughs> well, whatever is behind everything going on here is something far larger and far more mysterious than, you know, just some goofy poltergeist activity or just some UFO sightings. And it's it's especially since the best that debunkers can do with this all this information is just give it a well placed uh uh-uh. <laughs> Yeah. A uh, what? <laughs> a well placed what? Uh uh-uh. uh. If you ever talk no. to me again like that, son, I am your father. And if you want a car for your sixteenth birthday, you're not gonna be stop talking to me like that. I work at the mill. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> oh, wait until your mother gets home so she can witness me beating you. Dad, all ghosts and UFOs are hearsay. And until then, I'll be here with my makeshift blowjob machine. <laughs> <laughs> but before we begin, let's acknowledge our two aforementioned sources properly. The first is the 2005 classic Hunt for the Skimwalker by Colm Kelleher, Ph.D., and George Knapp, which is the book that brought the Skimwalker story to the world. The other is the Utah UFO display by Dr. Frank B. Salisbury. Mm, (laughs) Anybody named after a classic cafeteria lunch special, I trust with my UFO information. I loved, we did Salisbury Steaks on Thursday Mm -hmm. at St. Pete's Middle School in Stevens Point, Wisconsin. And I loved them. Ah. I love Salisbury Steak. No, the Salisbury Steak at Rochester Independent School District was just shaped like a traffic light and it tasted like (laughs) shit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that book focuses mostly on the UFO activity in the Uinta Basin that occurred decades before the nightmare that the Gormans endured in the 90s. Originally written in 1973, Salisbury rewrote the book for a new edition in 2009 to update his findings and include his perspective on Skimwalker Ranch, which he never even heard of back when he wrote the book the first time. Really? I can't stop my praise of the Utah UFO display. I love this book, and a part of it has to do with the fucking indexes in the back, Yeah, where it's like he basically 
go with the help of a of a science teacher in Utah in the 1960s put together all of these heavily documented UFO sightings and it's a lot of people with it's multiple people viewing these things hmm. and it's really cool it's very compelling stuff nice now the Uinta Basin like many places in the American West has a story that is steeped in conflict blood and broken promises that involve both us whites and the native people of the land fighting amongst each other. What do you mean, us whites? You took a DNA test and you're 98% European. Yeah, I know. Uh, no, yeah, no, I'm that's 100% right. European. But uh, he's a part of the, the pure-blood Europeans that came to this country that kind of set up what we got going now. Yeah, you know what I mean? No, no, wink, oh, wink, yeah. wink, all the bad, maybe some of the bad, but some of the different. The way that we came to this country just made it... Different. Different, yeah. <laughs> no, I was trying to like uh, debunk what Marcus was saying with calling us all white, but then I didn't put the science in the front. Uh-huh. And then as soon as I got to the science part, I said, oh, that's right, he's right. <laughs> he's all, he's 100% European. Uh, the two tribes that define the conflict in this region were the Navajo and the Utes. And a large part of those conflicts were precipitated by the arrival of the Europeans, which also coincides with the first UFO sighting in the area outside of tribal folklore. During an expedition undertaken by two Franciscan priests named Atanasio Dominguez and Silvestre Velez de Escalante uh, in 1776, they were there to find an overland route from Santa Fe to Monterey. And while they were out there, they saw something unexplainable. Hmm. Hey, Silvestre, what is the easy pass? Oh! Very nice way to get through New Jersey. <laughs> easy pass. It's a fun easy pass joke. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> Records from the trip show that while these two were camped in the basin, Father Escalante described seeing a strange, unexplained fireball fly over the sky of the camp, something far larger than a mere shooting star. But that was... Hey, tell me, Sidestri. Do you remember when the brother Pedro... He he bent over, right? But before we had the big bean launch. <laughs> we had the big bean launch. Oh, no. Remember? This is y- yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Uh, but Pedro, oh, he has so many beans. <laughs> At the launch, and then he take a fuego. Yes. He put it behind his colon. Woof, woof, goes the dynamite. Woof goes the dynamite. I see it in the sky. Right. I do remember that when he lit his when he lit his farts on fire there, yeah. 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 Is, I laugh. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's always great camping with you. So yeah, yeah, the fireball. Yeah. So you're saying the fireball you saw kind of looked like that? Is that the I guess so. <laughs> okay. But that was just the paranormal aspect of the trip. The real-life consequences of the Spanish interacting with the Navajo and Ute tribes at this time also introduced the slave trade to the area. Now, oh, the nat- so it's gotten serious. Is it, what you're it gets it's serious here for just a second, oh, yeah. yeah. But it all has to do with the story. Now, the Native American slave trade in the West is something that isn't talked about very often. We're not going to go into detail about the Native American slave trade here, so we can just kind of add it to the list of awful things that humans have done to each other on American soil. Great. Mm -hmm. But from what I've learned this week, there were quite a bit of raids done between Native American tribes for the purpose of capturing other Native Americans to be sold into slavery. Mm. As far as the legend of the Skimwalker Ranch goes, this practice goes right to the heart of where a lot of the local folklore comes from, namely the stories that involve the creatures known as skinwalkers. 
According to Hunt for the Skimwalker, the Utes were particularly gung-ho about the slave trade when it came to capturing and selling the Navajos. Hmm. Although other sources I read said that the Navajo were pretty into it as well, and it was really the Paiute tribe who got screwed the hardest by everyone. It's always the ones that are super peaceful. Yes. It seemed yeah. to get screwed by everybody else around them. Yep. Mm-hmm. I yeah. Know, and you can see that if you played Red Dead Redemption, Marcus, <laughs> I'm staring at you because you didn't finish it. I got bored. There are some great Native American conversations happening. <laughs> and one one younger boy is extremely upset, rightfully so, and the father says, I just want peace. But you're right. Sometimes you got to fight. Yeah, sometimes. You, so you, you but the Franciscan, the Franciscan monks going through there, it's very interesting because a part of it, I believe that, like what we talked about when we were talking about Hellier on side stories and we've talked about other things involved <clears> in the psychic world. Even outside of this, the the concept of synchronicities and the idea of signs has been built into many, you know, the the reason why they viewed that they could show up into the middle of this desert and essentially just take over this whole community that was already there was that it's stuff like, I believe when they showed up and they they saw this fire in the sky, they were like, God's telling us we're right. Look at that. That's God saying hello. Where yeah, right. and, and all of a sudden it just turns into slavery for everyone. But really it was just a UFO poking its way through the fucking sky hold. Well, as far as what the Utes did, they also sided with legendary frontiersman Kit Carson during the earlier Indian Wars that also happened to coincide with our Civil War, back when the Union was fighting both the South and various Native American tribes across the American West. So, according to Hunt for the Skimwalker, because the Utes were seen by the other tribes as betrayers, the Navajo were said to have put a curse on their tribe. And the name of that curse was the Skinwalker. Cool! And Skimwalker Ranch just happens to be a tiny little island in the middle of the Ute Reservation. In fact, the ridge to the north that separates the ranch from the reservation is said to be, quote, in the path of the Skinwalker. And as such, is off limits to believers. Cool. This is—it's very interesting because sk- the concept of Skinwalker is it, it, there's not a lot of details because it is essentially proprietary information of the Navajo, and the, within the world of the Navajo, it kind of that is kind of their big boogeyman. He does exist right. in other uh, indigenous peoples, like in other groups and other tribes, but then he's a very scary figure to the Navajo. I, but it's also, but they don't tell a lot of shit about it. Mm-hmm, they right. don't talk about it. I understand the hesitation to want to uh, share their lore after what's happened to their entire civilization. Really. Oh, yeah. But um, the Navajo culture is so fun. Yeah. It was like, I just love hearing more and more about it. And I love, I love the Native American people, and we have a lot of Native American listeners. Of course. So, yes, we love you very much. So, according to lore that spans across quite a few different Southwestern tribes, a skimwalker is a witch who is able to shapeshift into a humanoid version of any animal that they so choose. Ooh. And once transformed, the witch then takes on the attributes of said animal. What if they're a platypus? <laughs> but they're saying it could be anything. But then it also still, apparently, a part of what they'll do is that with their clans, the skinwalker clans will get together. I've got, got some of this from a cryptid hunter uh, who uh, it was a, a, a very often a guest on Coast to Ghost, a man by the name of J.C. Johnson, who is a fucking character. I would, I would, I think the term is a piece of work. Okay. Um, he's, he's got one of those things where he's got beard, he's got beard hair that goes up to the bottom of his uh, eyeballs. Oh yeah, smart guy. That kind of thing. But he basically said they practice that because he married into the Navajo, like his wife is Navajo, so he eventually is like the son-in-law 
like I'm not going to name names. I have a member of my family that is related to that is that is married into my family um, who um, constantly wants to sell everybody lighting fixtures. <laughs> it's really? kind of like that. Are they good? Where, uh, JC JC Johnson married into the Navajo, and the only thing he wants to talk about is the Skinwalker, and they are all made very uncomfortable about it. Right. Because it's very forbidden knowledge. Yeah. To right. know about. And so he needles him. But he got one of these guys named Chief Dan to basically tell him the skinwalkers practice. They have these like meetings where they get together in these giant yurts and they get little different skins out and they put them on and they literally all coach each other to be like, no, no, no. A fox does more like, no, a fox spark is more like, a bear grunt is more like, well, that sounds like a dog, kind of. Now, what kind of lighting fixtures are we talking here? Because I could go for I mean, some there's new a ones lot. in my kitchen. In terms of, I believe the term is lumens. Yeah. They they really get out there. That's interesting. I would be. That's why it's nice to have a bigger family. Yeah. One guy selling your lighting fixtures. Maybe someone knows how to fix a couch. So even though skimwalkers can turn into any animal, the most common form for a skimwalker to take is a wolf or a dog. And now, s- is it only animals that they have seen in their... So it couldn't be a platypus. I don't... And, if you're, and what if you do a whale, and yeah. then you're on land, <laughs> and then you're dying? No, Ask there, in the, the Ben questions. These are the you know, we'll get into this. If you can be any animal, I just want... Kissle. Does it have to be... Could you be a whale on land? No, no, no. Listen. Hey, Jesus Christ. Yeah, sure. I guess. But let's just go through the process of how a skinwalker may do their practice. Okay. Well, stories have been told, even as late as the 70s, of totally sober people reporting men with the heads of dogs congregating and smoking cigarettes together. And that's where those paintings come from of them all gambling. (laughs) Playing poker and stuff, yeah. Well, said to be the most evil creatures alive, skimwalkers are also able to control minds in order to force people to do things they wouldn't normally do, such as commit murders Mm. on the skimwalker's behalf or even commit suicide. But since these powers are extraordinary, they require an extraordinary act to receive them, as it's said that the only way to become a skinwalker is to murder a sibling or a relative. And this is in addition to skimwalkers being necrophiliacs. So on earth? I missed this part of the Garden of Eden story. <laughs> yeah, dude. Is it Cain killed Abel or something like that? One, one of those guys so, killed each other. So the, the way it seems to go. Is that there's a couple, I'm trying to piece this together because I went on a, I went on a skinwalker path to try to figure out like more and more details, and it seems that the Navajo hold magic to be very very sacred, and they and their shaman is such an important part of their community, right? And a part of it is that he heals everybody, and a part of it seems to be is that they do a certain amount of rituals in order to gain the these these kind of uh, these abilities and mm-hmm. figuring out how to connect themselves to their mind in the universe, uh, there and uh, give those powers to their people in order to take care of the community but it seems to be the skinwalker are people that do these same kind of rituals but they do it for either nefarious purposes or they do it for own purpose purposeful self-gain and it requires more and more as the years went by Mm -hmm. for them to gain this very powerful ability uh and then basically what you have to do is you have to either kill your brother or sister. This is what they said. It's like someone very, very close to the family or be in the room with someone who's hired to slit their throats in front of them. It has to be a surprise. And then you take the dead body. You fuck the dead body. Oh, my. Everybody's fucking the body. And do no something a big roundabout with Aunt Gertha. She's out there getting <laughs> passed Gertha's around. Aunt there. This is true. Like, And then they have to then eat the body. They chump up chunks of it and they all eat of the soft tissue. But then they're supposed to use every bit of it. 
They're supposed to go and you take the bones. You can make a poison out of the bones. And then you take the head and you make a soccer ball out of the head. I'm not sure that's true. Yeah, I don't know. That would be a hard <laughs> soccer ball. And then you do all of that so you can have the, the face of a dog. Huh? <laughs> that doesn't seem like a good payoff. Think about how nice a life Puffin lives. Yeah, Puffin's doing right, great. I although at- I what I I had my New York City parents watch him over the weekend, and evidently he's having trouble jumping onto the couch, which is apparently a sign of being overweight. <laughs> but I'm like, whatever. Why does he have to even be on the couch? You know, Georgie can hop up in my lap while I work anytime, yeah. anytime she wants. She well, comes up and she, Roy, I won't come up on my lap. And then she comes up on the lap. And then all of a sudden, it's like, there he is betrayed by the skinwalker. And then she just <laughs> oh puts the God. fucking powder in you. It's like a weird old Native American woman. Yes. <laughs> the only acceptable reason to interrupt a podcast? Your dog. <laughs> That was your dog saying thank you for BarkBox. You can take a minute now. You pet your dog. But you're going to learn about Bark. It's the company dedicated to making dogs happy. Yay. Every month, BarkBox decides and delivers a whole new collection of toys and treats just for your best bud. No, Wendy, I can't get you a whip. You're too cute for weapons. Every treat is made with yummy, healthy, all-natural ingredients like pumpkin and sweet potato. Mmm, tubers. My dogs love their toys selectively, but BarkBox sends good little ones for their little tiny mouths. They have little mouths, but strong, big spirits. So they fight over the little toys. I imagine they think that they are hunting and going after little bugs and rats. And oh, they love their life and they love the they love what BarkBox brings. Because BarkBox brings the bark and puts it in a box. Yep. To get your free upgrade, go to BarkBox.com slash L-E-F-T. My sister is the best gift giver I've ever met of any person. It's Jackie Zabrowski. She shops all year thinking about her family and friends and puts little things aside for their birthdays and Christmases. I have no idea how she does it. I don't know how she do it. But guess what? She always wins Mother's Day, but not this year. I'm coming back. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? I'm taking the crown. All right, give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. I mean this. We have the Aura frame up in my home. We absolutely love it. I can put photos on it very, very easily through the app. It's fun to do. And the memories keep cycling and I get emotional. And we filled it with pictures of Carmi and Wendy. And that is not sad. That is celebratory. So you should try it. It's honestly a really good product. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code LEFT at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated 
text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with horse pics. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents' accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse pics over various country borders, I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Well, the knowledge we have on skimwalkers, like Henry said, is pretty damn limited because the Navajo aren't too keen on discussing it even amongst themselves, much less letting the rest of us in on the secret. And there is historical proof that at least at one point, witches were a very real fear for the tribe. In 1878, a forced march done at the behest of the U.S. Army killed hundreds of Navajo who were taken from their lands and confined to a bleak reservation devoid of life or any real sustenance. And as a way to try to explain their sudden bad fortune, the tribe decided that their gods had abandoned them. And like so many other cultures throughout history, they decided the reason why the gods had abandoned them was because the tribe was chock full of witches. Oh, oh shit, here comes the equalizing party, oh. the anti-witch party that seems to happen every 50 years or so. My goodness, witches got the brunt of a lot of accusations over the years. Always. Well, I mean, it's it's an easy way to try to fix a problem. It, it distracts people, it gives yeah. you something to do, and it gives you a way to take your anger out on somebody I and mean, to do something very tangible and very permanent. They're just... They're just hurting all of the coolest chicks in town well with yes. the, with the, the navajo i believe it was men and women it wasn't like a specifically like mm. a, like a gender specific thing like it is a, a lot of times like uh i'm pretty sure in this case it was everyone okay yeah so to restore balance more than 40 navajo believed to be witches by others in their tribe were murdered one of these supposed witches even had their stomach opened and stuffed with witch accoutrement wrapped in a br- wrapped in the broken treaty the Navajo had signed with the government. Oh, God, the government was the problem, not the witches. <laughs> Focus your anger elsewhere. Yeah. Now, physically, the way the Navajo describe the skimwalkers is terrifying. One writer who spoke to the authors of Haunt said that the first thing you'll notice about a skimwalker is that even in human form... Their eyes glow red like hot coals. Ooh. That's just me when I get back from the dispensary. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but baby. I do understand. But this stuff, this shit gets freaky yeah. because out there, too, because remember, this is in the wilds of Utah, out in the middle of the desert. And they were right. talking about going through. It's like these, you weren't supposed to go out at night. They said the night was for them. The night was for other life. It was not for them. And they said you'd go out there in the night and you'd literally scan. They'd have these big spotlights. Like essentially a lot of Going certain houses like, have these big spotlights. And how many times you put out there and you just see red eyes out in the fucking forest. God, that would be such a fun thing to do at night, though. Yeah. We got to go camping out there. We do. And if you do see the true face of a skimwalker, it's said that they're bound to kill you to keep you from finding out their identity. Because if you know who they are and you're able to identify the skimwalker, then the skimwalker dies. Oh. It's kind of like Rumpelstiltskin, but with faces. I see. Interesting. And, 
and the way they seem to describe it also reminds me of 25% of the people we met in Vancouver, where it's a lot of the times the skinwalker is seen shuffling. The real life <laughs> right. just shuffling on the street with like, you know, with glowing red eyes, with like a blanket over him going, bashy, 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 bashy. Like very, very intense, very right. strange, weird little people. Because yes. then the goal is they do their ritual, they sing a specific song, they put a ca- the hide on top of them, and then they transform. Yes, Vancouver does have a heroin problem, <laughs> uh, which is quite serious. It's very serious. Quite serious. Now, a common weapon of the skimwalker is what some call corpse powder. To keep their identity a secret, the skimwalker will blow this powder made from a dead body into the victim's face. Yeah. The powder causes this tongue to go black, and that is followed by convulsions and death. And I was listening to one cryptid hunter who was talking about how, like, he he was... They were doing some research project out in Utah, and this fucking snar- huge dog, big snarling dog, comes and attacks him and his family. And he's like, "The only thing I had, the only thing I could do to defend myself was to grab a two by four. He grabs a two by four. He beats this dog to death with a two by four, right? Wow. Which is intense. <laughs> That's an intense night. But he said he got sick." And his tongue started to change, and he started fucking convulsing and shit, and doing all those things. Like, he was fucked up. He had no idea he was going. He thought he was just sick. And basically, his Navajo buddy was like, you need to come see the shaman. And he's just like, no, buddy, I don't trust your shaman shit. I don't trust this shit. And the shaman then, out of nowhere, contacts the guy's friend. He's like, your friend is sick right now. He needs to come see me right the fuck now. He's going to die tomorrow. And he's like, I don't know how you know my buddy, but okay. They go and they scoop up the cryptid hunter, take him back to the the, the shaman. The shaman makes him eat a bunch of shit that makes him start foaming at the mouth. And he's oh just my. like, I'm foaming and I'm shaking. And he's like, I took a huge shit. <laughs> like straight up had massive, massive diarrhea and all this black shit came out of him. Huh. And he said the next day he was fine. He was He was still jacked up. But the shaman was like... A couple hours from now, you would have been a victim of the skinwalker because maybe the powder came off its fur as you were beating a dog to death. Wow. <laughs> yes, maybe. I didn't realize that Molly was often used by Native American <laughs> shamans, but that is fascinating. We got a, So we got a two-by-four, mm-hmm. little Hacksaw Jim Duggan reference there. Oh, oh, yeah. And then we also have, with the blowing of the dust that kills you, Papa Shango. That's right, Papa Shango. WWF. <laughs> Papa Shango, he went on to later become a pimp, which is yeah. quite a different, I don't know how he went from Papa Shango to a pimp. But da, uh, the the but, Godfather. Uh, the Godfather, yeah, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. Yeah. But that was an but awesome as, character. It was a great finisher. As I was screaming all this at Natalie, she said it's also very it's very similar to Voodoo, right? Mm-hmm. This concept of the people using what now we know is the zombie powder hmm. that they have, which is made out of this base component called scopolamine, which is essentially it makes you uh, uh, highly suggestible. And they go and they essentially kidnap people by blowing this powder in their face and make them take all their money out of their ATM. So your wife, your wife didn't get a professional wrestling reference out of that. <laughs> No, your wife just didn't sit there on the couch and be like, "That's like, that's like hacksaw Jim Duggan." No, and Papa no I decided, I decided no. to not marry a three hundred and fifteen pound man from Wisconsin. <laughs> ah, I, I see different people, different takes. Well, the Navajo say that they have ways to protect themselves against the evils of the skimwalkers, but they're not sharing them with the rest of us. Henry's story aside, but really, that's not out of spite. It's mostly because they say that skimwalkers normally won't bother those of us who aren't of the southwestern tribes. There are stories, though, that suggest that this isn't always the case. 
1983, a non-native family was driving through a Navajo reservation along Route 163 in Arizona on their way home to Flagstaff mm. when they felt something was following their car. It's a police officer, and their their lights are on, and they say, pull over, pull over. <laughs> and we just kept on What is this mystery? What is that? Is that Sheriff Joe Arpaio? He's the real cryptid of Arizona. <laughs> well, as the family rounded a bend, they said the atmosphere changed and time slowed down. Suddenly, they said a gigantic, black, hairy creature with yellow eyes wearing a man's clothes jumped up from the roadside ditch and scared the hell out of them. Uh, but cool. didn't attack. Didn't no. attack them. No, okay. just, just kind of went, ah! <laughs> <laughs> that is a gotcha, great bitch. practical joke. <laughs> I love cryptid practical jokes. <laughs> now, they tried to forget about it, but a few days later. Wait, hold on. You tried to forget about yeah, that? Yeah, tried to forget about that. You forgot it's about so the, hard. The, maybe it was just a Polish construction worker. We don't know. But I, it's, I would try to remember difficult. that. No, it, the problem is, is that when something truly weird happens, and this thing's got to come up again and again as you talk about Skinwalker Ranch, it, it, when something that's so outside of your fucking normal everyday experience just jumps in your lap, it's very shocking. It's yeah, very like, like truly imagine you're driving the street, like all the goofy shit aside, you drive it and you see this fucking creature go up and go like, Ah, out. Like, and it goes back down. It's like there's something even weirder than it attacking the car right, because right. it's just showing you, "Hi, I'm here." Yeah, and then Go you back know for a fact, he's got his parents over at some cryptid, beautiful mansion, a beautiful cryptid mansion. Be like, "Where's Bobby?" And they're like, uh, "He said he wanted to go scare cars in traffic." And you're like, damn it. He's going to get us I all tell you what, out. As long as he's not playing video games on <laughs> Yeah, get out of the house. Get out of the house. That's true. Well, the family did try to forget about it. But a few days later, when they were back home, they woke up to the sounds of loud drumming coming from outside. And when they looked outside, they saw three strange man-like creatures standing outside their fence. So cool. Once yeah. the creatures were seen, the creatures tried to climb over the fence to enter the property, but for some reason they couldn't get through. Hmm. And instead, they sat outside the fence in the darkness, chanting, until finally they gave up and left. Honey, honey, come here, come here, look. It's Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, bark, bark, bark. I'm a dog now. That's what I do. But there are others who say that there's no way in hell that the Navajo would unleash a skimwalker upon anyone, whether it be a white family taking a shortcut or another tribe that wronged them in the past. See, a skimwalker is not a weapon to be wielded. According to the lore, they are evil, selfish creatures who exist only to spread misery and pain. And a Navajo, according to anthropologist Dan Binishek, would more likely kill a skimwalker before asking it for help. Really? Well, it seems to also have been a slippery slope of intention uh, by the skinwalker, where at first, they were like, this ability was used, first thing first, to go and spy on conquistadors that were coming to, basically, the, the Spanish coming through their land. Right. They would go and they would, they would ha basically have someone hide in the guise of an animal. They would go and listen to what they were saying in secret and trying to find out the plans of the conquistadors. That eventually went towards the U.S. Cavalry. But they said, but one Chief Dan and J.C. Johnson, which I thought was very interesting, what he said was that essentially after what they called the Long Walk, which is the what they said when they basically rounded up all these Native mm. Americans and put them on a reservation, thousands of them died. They, uh, what part of that was that the 
our our version of property and and all of the of these these kind of Western ideas infiltrated their society, and a lot of it. Some people <clears throat> used it for good, but the people that are using it for kind of selfish purposes, eventually the Skinwalker started to get used to be like. My that guy over there has a new truck. I want to go and I, I want that truck for myself. And they would mm. basically hire a shaman to act as a skinwalker to go and ruin somebody else's life. And eventually, more and more, like the, that magic and that power became deeply corrupted. Mm-hmm. Hey, Henry, that thing got a Hemi. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just you know, hey. just trying to just trying to just ed- entertain, edu- edutain. Hey, uh, I'm just trying to edutain thing, the populace. That thing got a Hemi. <laughs> I don't even know what it is. I don't even know what it is. Yeah. It doesn't Very even work. It's okay to work because I don't even know what a Hemi is. I don't yeah. know what that is. No, I hope that thing got one. <laughs> That's all I know about it. So they would dress up like animals. Yeah, and yeah. rocks and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That's kind of no, fun. not rocks. Yeah. Not <laughs> Whole, all it's I know not, is if no, you're a conquistador, you go around and you poke everything you see. A, you can't show it up as you can't show up as like a floating ice cream cone. All right, it has to be an animal. Oh, I see. You can't do. Okay. One to, they said one that was very interesting. One guy showed up as a nine foot rabbit, yeah. and for me, that's actually scary because George Norrie was making fun of me. Like, you made to tell me we're being scared of the Easter Bunny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as his wig slides off the top of his skull, be like, no, I actually think a nine foot yeah. rabbit is scarier than a fucking wolf. Yeah. If any of our uh, imaginary friends during the holiday season were real, the two. Tooth fairy, which is just that's universal. That's year round. Oh yeah. Or the Easter Bunny, they would have to be killed immediately. That is <laughs> yeah, horrifying. man. Tooth fairy showed up my house. That's my child's property. You're coming well, in I here. I think they take Blam! it. They don't take it out Blam! of the kid's mouth, Henry. The kid puts it under the pillow, and then you got Wait to give them money for suffering. When this economy takes a downturn, we'll see what happens with these tooth fairies and how they go about getting their precious teeth. Yeah, that's true. They're little <laughs> golems of teeth. Well, I heard another possible explanation for skimwalkers, and this comes from the Skeptoid podcast, even though they discount the entire story of, Skimwa- story of Skimwalker Ranch from top to bottom. And I didn't listen to the podcast. I just wrote about, I just read the article that they wrote about Skimwalker lore on their website. Okay. Hell yeah. <laughs> well, they point towards clinical lycanthropy when it comes to explaining where the legend of the Skimwalker comes from. Now, as a refresher, clinical lycanthropy is when a person has the delusion that they can transform into a wild animal, and as such, they behave like a wild animal. Catman. Remember Catman? I remember Catman. The dude mm-hmm. who he got all the plastic surgery in the world. Um, and apparently he was kicked out of his house because he was like, I'm a cat. And then he would just take dumps in the living room and pee like anywhere. I'm a cat. Like, you are You have to get a pretty big litter box. Oh, you know yeah, I mean? buddy. Like, that's a lot of shit to have to scoop up. It is just a playground. Yeah. It is a it is a sandbox that children are supposed to play. And he's like, I'm in my I'm in my kitty. <laughs> no, there's a dump truck there, a little toy dump truck. That's where children play. Oh, yeah, they'll find it later. <laughs> well, the very real psychosis, that is clinical lycanthropy, has been traced to hundreds of vicious murders over the years, including Spain's first documented serial killer, Manuel Blanco Romasanta, who killed 13 people in the 19th century and made soap from the fat of his victims. Ooh. Yeah, but dogs don't make soap. <laughs> no, definitely. That dogs don't make soap. No, no well, he wasn't don't. a werewolf. Mm. Uh, 
But what the Skeptoid podcast wrote is that in many cases of clinical lycanthropy, the sufferers believe that their condition is a punishment for some horrible past transgression. And this falls in line with the belief that skimwalkers were required to kill a sibling or relative. So it's sort of a chicken and the egg type of thing. It's a crime that repeats upon itself as a kind of coping mechanism. You kill someone, you feel grief, but since you're already a bad person, you say, fuck it, I'm going to go all the way, and you kill more and more, getting more and more vicious, all to keep the cycle going under the belief that you're now a werewolf or something. So, and there's something to this, and there, I believe that there's something to the psychic edge of this. I think that it's because there are ways some people have said the witnesses of certain skinwalkers. So they've said that they've uh. both seen skinwalkers in the form of a creature, either an oversized creature or a half-humanoid creature, mm-hmm. or from another angle, have seen the same said person who is running with a fucking skin tied around their shoulders like a cape. And I think that there's something about this this belief cycle, too, right? Where you believe in this so hard, that you and because of your grief, almost, you're projecting an image of the fucking bear. You're doing this, right, and people right. that are already susceptible to psychic behavior see this type of thing, and it's, and it's weird. It's like a, a fuzzy Bluetooth connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Marcus, you mentioned vicious cycles. So, yeah. they, so they feel almost like uh, hungover a little bit after one kill, <laughs> and then they wake up on Saturday, and they're like, the only thing that can cure this hangover is just one more Bud Light, and then that I'll turns say- into 20, and then Sunday, they're like, the only thing yeah. that's going to cure this hangover is one more Bud Light. Is that really, but like on a serial killer level this is the sentence that we can now crop out of the show and we can bring to your doctor and we can say he needs bud lights to learn this is what allows him to learn i see okay interesting but it's to prolong the suffering of realizing or dealing with what you've done yeah well it's like i've done this so i have to be right Hmm. it's actually uh it plays right into what we were talking about in the mangala episodes where you know some of the nazis got more and more evil as time went on because the more evil they were the more right they were sure well they had to you got to fucking buy in now yeah you're already this far you already killed your brother you fucked his corpse Ugh. you ate his meat <laughs> at this point it's like well you know might as well run around with this deer skin on and right. creep people out yeah how do you like i just feel bad for the guest at the dinner table when all those people get together for the first time mm-hmm. after like five years just being like so uh so you guys just don't talk to each other anymore. Huh? Like, uh, is, how do you talk to anyone after you've had sex with a corpse and eaten it together? Oh. I, well, I mean, the- I feel like you just compartmentalize it. We've met a couple people on our travels the last podcast, and Lefty did the same thing. You had fucking Jeffrey Dahmer, yeah. who was doing the same shit, and he managed to put his shirt on and his and his he put his pants on the right way around and got his way down to the chocolate factory. I guess. <laughs> Texas Pete is a sauce and allows you to sauce like you mean it. It's what people gather around, it's generosity in its simplest form, and it's a swagger people have who know what's good. Each Texas Pete hot sauce is packed with bold, balanced flavor. This signature tanginess is what makes it a legendary hot sauce that can be used on just about anything. It's been at the center of dinner table since 1929 and is still heating things up today. You're definitely going to want to try 
every flavor. The original hot sauce has a famous secret blend of fermented peppers. The hotter hot sauce is three times hotter than the original, and not for the faint of heart. Sabor! By Texas Pete adds authentic Mexican flavor, and their dust-dry seasoning matches the flavor of the original hot sauce and a flavorful dry rub. Tell you what, the other day I was having myself a good old refried bean burrito, and I wanted a little bit of kick to my morning, so I got myself some cha Texas Pete sriracha sauce, and I smothered those refried beans and that cheese and them eggs and a whole bunch of cha and it started off my day. Correct. Texas Pete. Sauce like you mean it. Visit TexasPete.com and use the store locator to find Texas Pete products as well as purchase sauces and get recipe inspiration. And use the promo code PODCAST24 for 20% off at TexasPete.com. Every day, I fight to set my child up for success, which is why as I sit and read Carmi and Wendy Dune, trying to explain to them the concepts of the savior complex not working, doubling back on itself, the concept of what does it mean to be a living God? What are those limitations? What are those expectations? And honestly, I know they just want chicken. But there are kids out there that need this type of direct help. And IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language, arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them understand and master topics in a fun way. Not unlike me, reading children, Dune Messiah, getting to about 365, seeing where they're at, see if they understand anything. There's no more grading these worksheets. IXL grades everything itself. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. You can't even believe it! You don't want to make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And last podcast in the left listeners could get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash left. Visit IXL.com slash left to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Yeah, we do. Do you love saving money? Oh my God, you bet. Then Philo may be your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. That's amazing. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles. It's just a better way to watch TV. Get with it, people. Philo has an unlimited DVR for one year. Save all your favorite shows so you can watch on your own schedule. Philo allows for multiple profiles and multiple streams, meaning that your children or significant other can't ruin your queue. Never miss a minute of shows like, oh, RuPaul's Drag Race. You're going to watch it. You're going to love it. You're going to get involved with it. And it's an extravaganza. You're going to love it. With Philo, you can start watching in seconds for less money and less hassle. Try it yourself with your seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash left. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash L-E-F-T to get 50% off your first month. I will say, though, there are some in the Uinta Basin who interchanged the word skimwalker with another cryptid that I would by no means ever place in the world of evil. Sasquatch. 
Oh, Sasquatch! It's a per- it's a peaceful creature. Yeah, no, I- but they're all a part of the same crew, right? When it comes down to it, Sasquatch does like hanging out with the Skinwalkers uh, either way because they're fucking posers because <laughs> they're not the real shit. Sasquatch has got he's living that Sasquatch lifestyle twenty four seven. Yeah, he doesn't ha- he doesn't get to turn back into a hot babe and go to the Seven <laughs> Eleven and right. get a hot dog. He doesn't get to do that shit anymore. He's now fucking live a, a lifestyle that requires him to eat and shit pine cones. Oh. <laughs> I love Sasquatch so much. Well, northeastern Utah is not quite the Sasquatch mecca that, say, Oregon is. The area has had quite a few sightings over the years, with a lot of the more recent ones happening just north of Skimwalker Ranch. And the Utes certainly have their own views on the creature. This is what Sasquatch is all about According to them, according to one Ute, who sounds kind of like Charles Manson when he was describing the creature in the book. Really? Sasquatch, he's an old man, an old man that lives on a mountain. He just comes in, he looks at people, and he goes back out again. He just lives there all his life, man. He never takes care of himself and just smells real bad. Almost like, almost like that guy. Like he is dirty, dirty human being smells what it smelled like. A real deep, bad, bad odor. It smelled like dirty, bad underarms. The closer I got, the worse the smell got. And I should know because I invented smell. <laughs> wow. All right. So we got a credible witness here. A credible witness who saw a Sasquatch. And there are other strange creatures out there as well. It's said that a serpent haunts a reservoir known as Bottle Hollow, so-called because it used to be just a big hole where people would throw their empty liquor bottles. Simple names. But this reservoir just happens to almost directly abut Skimwalker Ranch. A what? It does a what? A, it abuts it. It's a bug. It's a term. It's a locational term. It's a, location term. It's a very, it's a legitimate term. What does it do? It ab- it's a butts. <laughs> it abuts. Yeah, oh, God. Yeah. Hours of research. Yeah. Right, Marcus? How hard did you work on this dog meat? How hard did you fucking, how long, how many hours? 40 did it hours at least this week. Yeah. 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 What does it do? <laughs> Well, not too long after the hole was filled with water back in the 70s, long before the stories of the ranch became public, there was a tragedy. Mm. See, almost immediately after the hollow was filled, stories among the Utes began circulating that a large aquatic snake was sometimes seen in the water, and an incident occurred that might support that. One night, a man and a woman were swimming in Bottle Hollow while a few others were hanging out on the shore. Suddenly, the woman screamed, saying that something was pulling her underwater. Mm. Then, she was gone. It's like a fucking horror movie. Her companion said that he dove underwater and grappled with whatever the creature was, but by the time he'd got the woman free and back to shore, she drowned. Oh. Now, as Dr. Salisbury points out, there certainly are more logical explanations for this incident than a paranormal serpent. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he definitely could have just killed that woman. That's possible. But the witnesses on the beach supported the aquatic monster story, and investigators on the scene took the report seriously. But cryptids are only one part of the overall story here. Yeah, dude. The sightings of Bigfoots and lake serpents are nothing compared to the wealth of UFO encounters that have haunted the Uinta Basin for decades. And in this area of the world, the local expert is without a doubt a retired science teacher from Roosevelt, Utah, named Junior Hicks. Love it. This guy has got the coolest job in the world. He's great. It is just... 
He was a high school science teacher. Fun. Who just, everybody would come to him with their UFO stories to the point where he was like, fuck it, I am going to research this full time. And then that's where he'd go, and he'd spend his weekends out there counting down all of these different UFO stories that people said. And at this time period, in the, in the 60s to 70s, anybody that lived in that area of town, he was saying, he, I think the percentage he said it was like one in three had a UFO story. It's like, it, it was just everywhere. Awesome. It became yeah. so prevalent. Seeing UFOs in the sky, like full on, not just like lights and orbs, but right. also fucking crafts, like full on nuts and bolts bullshit. They were seeing this, and it was it was it was thick with two C's with it. Yeah. Very fun. So he's living the best life. He is. By 1973, Junior had amassed a collection of. 400 sightings and that was starting at about like 1966 because around like 1966 1967 uh ufo sightings in this area just exploded i mean there had been a few seen since father escalante back in 1776 mm-hmm. uh but in the six the late 60s was when it really exploded and junior said that mm-hmm. by his reckoning most of those were just either satellites or stars but about 80 of them were credible, as in people saw something that was unidentified. They saw an unidentified flying object, which does not necessarily mean that it's aliens or whatever. It just means that they saw something that is unidentified. For, I mean, you could perhaps, just legally go, "What is that?" What is that? <laughs> to me, is a big deal. Maybe the uh, aliens, once we got our nuclear technology really primed up, pretty solid. Maybe they came down here, wanted to milk us for that. But they also talk about which will we will again. How many times I'm going to say this? But these these things also happen in waves or flaps, right? So a part of this is that a wave of activity can happen over a period of years and then it goes away and then it comes back and then it goes away which is kind of what we're seeing here is that from 1966 to the mid 1970s we were we had a huge ass ufo flap Mm -hmm. but then popped up again in the 90s with the stories of the gormans maybe they were just maybe the aliens are traveling through to a different destination it takes them a long time to get out of our little solar system so maybe it takes 10 or 15 years and then now they're off someplace else yeah i mean the concept of alien uh or uh, i guess ufos visitors and time uh, that's definitely a, a big part of it is that mm. maybe time works differently for them than it does for us uh, who knows we have no idea so 1966 Junior attended a talk about the possibility of life on Mars at the Association of Utah Science Teachers and who happened to be given the talk but Dr. Frank Salisbury mm. Junior approached Dr. Salisbury after the talk and told him all about the activity in the basin. And two years later, the two started working together on officially documenting all this activity, which eventually became the book, The Utah UFO Display. One of my favorite stories from the book is Dr. Frank, when Dr. Salisbury showed up when he went to go to visit Junior Hicks, he gets pulled over for speeding. The cop comes over to take his information, and, and Dr. Salisbury's been like, I'm a doctor of fun things. My question to you is, can you point me towards where the UFOs are and people who've seen UFOs? He's like, well, you can actually ask the justice of this peace when you go to pay your ticket. So then he goes to meet the justice of the peace, who was the town barber. (laughs) So he paid his ticket at the barber with all of these members of the city council. And he's like, so have you guys seen UFOs? And they're all like, we've all seen UFOs. Mm -hmm. And he sat there and he he collected the stories right there. Man, I was like, that's my my dream. That's awesome. When I got my RV and Natalie and Wendy 2 and 3, because we'll have her cloned, he's going around (laughs) searching for fucking UFOs, man. It's unfortunate what happened with the 1033 program when the military signed 
lined up with individual police departments to militarize our local uh, law enforcement, mm-hmm. they're going to shoot you. <laughs> you can't just be like, I'm here looking for UFOs because they're like, we'll make you see stars with this baton when I wail on you. Yeah, it was day, a better time. Days passed. Lo- yeah, days yeah. passed. Unfortunate. Now, the first big UFO sighting in the area occurred in 1951 when 30 students and a teacher saw a cigar-shaped object sitting on the ground during daylight from about 50 feet away. But the most active period of UFO sightings in the basin were in the years 1966 and 1967. And many of the testimonies given to Junior occurred during that period. One of the first witnesses in that time period was Dean Powell, who was delivering the mail in Hannah, Utah, at about 10.15 a.m. in June of 1966, when he saw a perfectly silent silver craft hovering in front of a hill. And these are not looky-loos. These are people like Dean Powell, because they remember specifically in the book, it's like he asked for Dr. Frank Salisbury's identification. Like he's like, you tell me who you are first before I tell you my story. And he's going like, but it, it, this shit's freaky. Yeah. Well, Donna Massey was another witness who saw something strange, although she saw a different kind of craft altogether. She had just finished a long night of Cannon tomato juice when she decided to turn in at around 11.30 p.m. Oh, man. Is that fun? I can't tell. Is that canning? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, of course. Now, as she was going to say goodnight to her husband, Valda, she noticed. Yeah, there's a lot of strange names coming up here. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's all good. Valda is a funny name for a man. Yeah, it is. Yeah, Valda Massey is a funny name for a man. I love it. Yeah. Well, as she was going to say goodnight to her husband, Valda, she noticed a strange red light out to the west. It started moving towards her, but the closer it got, the more she realized that the light was actually a craft and much larger than she originally thought. She said that it was round and as big as a house and was emitting a horizontal red beam, which changed colors to yellow and green before softly coming to rest on top of a knoll near her home. Hmm. Just about the time that it landed, though, the local Mormon bishop, a one Garth Batty, showed up and sat there watching it with Donna. Finally, they decided to get closer, but as they approached it in Garth's car, the craft flew vertically so fast that it seemed to just vanish. Whoa. And a lot of what people talk about with these lights is that it's a very different property of light than what you'd normally be used to. The way that a lot of these, specifically in the Utah UFO display, and and the way they talk about it, these specific groups of sightings, is that they they describe it like it's boiling light. Mm. That light is coming out of it in these kind of amorphous waves that are not generally lighting things, that literally things are not illuminated until the cloud of light touches stuff. And they said that a lot of times it looked like they could take the, if, if they could be close enough to the object, it's like they could hold the light in their hands like it was a blanket. Hmm. Interesting. Now, the behavior of this craft is among the first examples of the Uinta phenomena being what you might call a little skittish. Yes. Whatever it is that's out there does not like being approached, nor does it like being photographed or recorded, and it will do whatever it can to prevent these things from happening. Hmm. And, of course, the debunkers can say, how convenient. Of course. I mean, so basically, 
We are dealing with an extraterrestrial UFO that has the same personality traits as Alec Baldwin. Is that yes. what we're talking about here? In no you will punch a photographer. Okay. You will punch one. He's already done it and he'll do it again. Oh, yeah. But it's one thing if you've got one dude saying he keeps seeing something that disappears right as he's pulling out his camera. Mm-hmm. You know, if you got a buddy, it's like, yeah, I see this thing every night, but it just disappears. I mean, that's one thing. Right. But in the case of the Uinta Basin... You got hundreds of witnesses like Donna Massey spanning decades. Because like I said, there were 80 sightings. Some of those sightings had like 10, 15 people all at once. I would love to talk to an alien and just be like, what's up, bro? What do you think is the biggest problem with our country is right now? And he'd be like, honestly, we used to visit you guys a lot more, but all these CCTV cameras are really, uh, you know, they're a big threat to us. And then we could just bond over the police state. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) We can. would be great. But. A part of this gets into the, I mean, you're going to probably take a bong rip to sort of even want to understand this. But Jacques Vallée talks about, again, bring him up time and time again. But he says, again, we were talking before, this phenomenon is in a circuit with our brains. It only exists because of our attention to it in its way, right? That maybe it is either being pulled through interdimensionally or to something. It is here for us and by us for some reason. It is FUBU. But (laughs) when when you look at this... This phenomena, a part of it is, it's almost purposefully saying, "Oh, you want your precious proof? You want your video? Uh, uh, you want your video evidence? You want right. photo evidence? You want to be able to scoop the soil and measure it? You want all this? Totally understand why you want that? But guess what? You literally can only share this information by sharing it personally, story by story, from person to person, trying to also show you in some weird way, or maybe it's it's a way that we don't understand yet, and I don't fucking understand, but it's this trying to understand that the universe is far more deep and complex than it's supposed to be, and it's like our own brains are trying to tell us that by helping manifest this information and that it's supposed to be a personal story. They keep talking about these UFOs as we go through each one like it's a performance. They call it a performance. They say these things are are manipulating reality around them in order to basically show like we can do whatever we want and so can you if you could figure out how to break through the fucking horseshit. An inspirational message coming from the extraterrestrials. Mm -hmm. Very nice. Hang in there. That's what I say. (laughs) Hang in there. And sometimes these people saw these objects in the Uinta Basin multiple times. Donna saw her object three times. A few months after the first sighting, she said that she saw the object again, except this time it shined with a light that was so bright and yellow that she said it looked like you could gather it with your hands, Ooh, like it had weight. Like a bunch of like a bunch of bananas. <laughs> And they weren't the only ones to see this object in particular, although Donna was the only one who said that she could see shadowy figures moving around inside the craft. After the Donna Massey sightings, though, the sightings came in fast succession. About a week after the Massey sightings, two men named Chuck Thompson and Kent Denver. Love yeah, it. it's oh. just two straight men out here in the Utah Basin. <laughs> we love to camp, we love to shop for antiques, and we run a restaurant together, me and my best friend Chuck. <laughs> I love it. Well, they saw what they described as a double convex ball of fire flying across the sky for about half an hour. 
Something similar was also described by a man named Verl Haslam and his family, with two other groups of people reporting that they'd seen it as well. But one of the stranger fire-like events was seen by a father and son duo named Orville and Czar Rudy. When did Very all these strange names, names go out of style? <laughs> when did that happen? What was the change? I haven't heard of any of these names before. Those- Orville, Verl. I guess Orville is the Orville Redenbacher. That makes sense. You want kids, Marcus? What? You got to name your kid one of these names to bring it back. Verl? No. Yeah. Verl is not Actually, good. Verl Park sounds Verl all right. Parks. No, <laughs> Think Verl about Park it. sounds like an actual city park where everyone just goes and does like a fake THC, <laughs> where they just do K2 all day in Verl Park. No, it's not good. Ken Denver, though, sounds like a weatherman, a newsman. I would, just, I would believe Completely straight. anything a Ken. Denver told me. I would have to believe it. Well, Orville and Czar said that about 8 p.m. one night, they saw what looked like a burning haystack in the distance. But it, it but it didn't make any sense for a haystack to even be out there in the desert, much less to have a burning haystack out in the mm. desert. Well, they thought that at first it was just the moon playing tricks. It's the moon playing tricks on David uh, Kennedy. Yes. That's they right. Thought it was just the moon. It was an optical illusion. The moon was rising above the horizon. For some reason, it looked like it was on fire. Okay. But the moon was already far above in the sky. That ain't the moon, that ain't. Maybe that is just Jamie Kennedy. (laughs) But soon, whatever it was, quickly flew into the sky, still burning brighter than a flame, and made a half circle around the real moon before traveling out of sight. Like, literally, it was going like, fuck you. Like, it's weird. There's a lot of this shit. The the word that comes up quite a bit for these sightings is fuckery, Mm -hmm. in my mind. Where they go up there, it's literally like, we're not the moon. See how we're not the moon? Bye-bye. Never see me again. (laughs) Whoa. But it wasn't just orbs and light objects that were seen out there. Some saw actual mechanics. Richard Fawcett and Moreland Buchanan were hunting at Pelican Lake on the evening of November 14th, 1968, when they saw something that they at first thought was nothing more than a balloon. Hold on, they're hunting at the lake. Yeah, they're hunting you at the lake. should be fishing at the lake. No, you hunt geese at the lake. Oh, you hunt geese. Yeah, you hunt geese, you hunt ducks. That's where ducks the geese are, are. Honestly, yeah, you hunt dove. Yeah. I feel bad for geese somewhat, but then if you've ever met a goose, they're very mean. <laughs> they are horrified. Yeah. So they took one took my sandwich when I was growing up. <laughs> well, from a distance, what these guys saw did in fact look like a weather balloon with a string hanging below, blown in the breeze. And since the sun was setting and it was getting too dark for geese hunting, the two figured they'd get in the truck and check it out. Mm. Now, they thought they'd drive about a mile, get out of the truck, grab the string and say, yep, that's a balloon, and then just be done with it. No. But as they got closer, the object got bigger. Pretty soon, they found they'd been driving for seven or eight miles, wow. and still the object just kept getting bigger. And once they got close enough, they saw that the string was in fact a tunnel about three feet in diameter, descending from the UFO down to the ground, sucking up what looked to them to be just general gray matter. Whoa. They said that the object it was attached to was, in fact, round like a balloon, but it was glowing as if light from the sun was reflecting off its surface. But the sun had already set. It was dusk. And then the object just seemed to disappear. 
And the one thing that Dr. Frank Salisbury said is that maybe it does sound sort of like a dust devil. Like maybe it was some kind of way of seeing it, but it does not explain the balloon object on top of it, the big shiny metallic balloon attached to it, and the fact that it was in the middle of the night. Right. Yeah, because thought, the uh, normally these things are done because of the heat of the day. Right? Yeah. I was yeah it's sort an of, afternoon thing. I was sort of hoping when you said that they saw it and they grabbed it, they got to grab the string and they looked up and they saw an elderly man. He had a cane <laughs> and it had four tennis balls on the bottom of it. And a fat, My wife fat, Died. Boy Scout. My wife died. It was like a house. It was like a nice house that was just floating with balloons. That movie is still very sad. It's extremely it's sad, but it's up. a it's a beautiful movie. It is a good movie. Now, the majority of the sightings happened in 1966 and 1967 at a rate of about one a week. From lights that looked to be intelligently controlled to full-on metallic crafts that landed or followed cars. And there's a bit of a paradox here when it comes to the car chases, because as I said earlier, the phenomenon does not like to be approached, filmed, or photographed, Hmm. but it loves being seen and acknowledged. Interesting. It It is a personal experience. Yeah. It is you and this thing, whatever that intelligence is, the whole object of, it seems to be, of each incident. It's been like, hi, I'm here. Do you see me? But guess right. what? No one else will. Bye, bye, fucker. You know, it's like, <laughs> oh, it's out there. Because they, they, there's a common trope, but they have a breakdown of what I love in this book, too, is a breakdown of all the different types of sightings and kind of the, the things that are similar. But a lot of people are seeing the same kind of shit, and it has the same behavior. It's the same kind of amorphous lights, weird crafts, things that right. look like flying refrigerators. This thing comes down, like, and then stuff like this. It's balls of living light mm-hmm. that seem to want to tag your car. You mm-hmm. know, I like that, though. Everyone's sharing everything. It's nice to just have a personal moment yeah you know i mean people do think you're crazy if you ever talk about it um but but that's okay i think there's something fun about that yeah there's just, some, just for you yeah just for you and for all of the 10 seconds max if you're at a concert on filming yes absolutely. that's my thing Stop i filming. do i take my pictures at the very top yeah i'll do it like it's never the first song it's like the second song i take a couple pictures right. and that's it because then i just want the edibles kick. <laughs> right i did if you go to my instagram at ben kissel one uh, i did have a great time touring the wax museum and i was alone so i filmed that for the audience it's nice and we had a lot of fun jokes in there yeah yes it's a great wax museum marcus which one the one on uh whatever hollywood boulevard in la oh. it's like legitimately fun Ripley's. No, not Ripley's. Ripley's. Not believe, no, Ripley's, it's believe Madame it or not, Tussauds. save your money. You just D- went, you went to, to Madame Ripley's. Tussauds, and you went to Dave & Buster's in Los Angeles. You literally <laughs> yeah. could have gone to anywhere in the entire city, and you went to those two places. You got hammered at Dave & Buster's. Yeah. You're like if the entire Griswold family was murdered and lumped into a big no. body and slapped a beard on it. Yes, I, I know what they, you sent that in a text message, and I said it's fun to act like a father of three without the children. Yeah. Because... Uh, <laughs> No, I was at uh, Dave and Buster's, and I was drinking my tall BL, twenty ounces. Yeah, a pretty good deal for six bucks. Uh-huh. And I'm driving, and I won all of my races because you're actually going against AI. It's uh-huh. all a lie. They have your picture. I raced against myself. Yeah, because they had my picture. And I got up after winning like three matches, and there's this family. This this father. I said, "Hey, man, feels good to be able to drink and drive." <laughs> and then he looked at me like I had eight heads, and he's like, "Kids, we scurry away now." And I'm like, "I was just Are thinking you? it's funny because I can drink a beer and drive. Like you can't do that in real life." Are you a skinwalker? <laughs> Like, Maybe. honestly, like, what is it that you do all day? Like, are you what people see? Like, are you the type of the, are you out in Utah? Have you been out there? Have you been buzzing the Skinwalker Ranch? I might be. I would love to live in Utah. Well, back to the UFOs. Thank you. 
<laughs> the one seen back then, they didn't leave evidence either. There are no photographs that I've seen, at least, from the 60s sightings, and there were no burn marks or indentations in the soil in the areas where the craft were known to land. And we see that in other UFO stories. You know, we see certain, uh, that what was that? Wasn't it Gulf Breeze that had some pretty intense uh, landing evidence, right? Yes, yes. We have some indentations, and we've seen other things. We talk about, well, eventually, when they do the Rendlesham Forest, and they talk about that incident where they had impressions that they took of the landing gear, quote-unquote, of the mm-hmm. UFO. But again... That's not the point of it, yeah. Dogmeat. <laughs> well, in addition, the UFOs were in almost all cases totally silent. And there was only one possible abduction. When two women reported that they saw a craft while they were driving, then they showed up at their destination with hours of missing time. Ooh. These sightings also tended to last a lot longer than many UFO sightings. Out of all the ones Junior collected, only 15% were less than a minute. Half of them were less than 10 minutes, but 37% of these sightings were 10 minutes or more, and 15% of those were more than half an hour. They were truly, whatever the fuck is happening in this part of the country at this time period, they were showing up. And they were saying, fucking look at me. They were presenting themselves to the people. But there was a dark side to all of this as well. In addition to all the UFO sightings, the basin also saw a fair amount of cattle mutilations. Hmm. Now, cattle mutilations are among the most bizarre and puzzling paranormal phenomena out there. Usually how it goes is that a cow will be found in a field completely mangled and dismembered, sometimes with wounds that seem as if they were done surgically, by no means the work of a predator, in other words. Mm -hmm. And in every case, there's no bloody mess like you would expect. The way they describe them is as if it was done and then presented. Mm -hmm. It seems to be, it looks like someone, which is why people want to debunk them really bad, because it it feels... Very purposeful. Yeah. Right. Now, the debunkers say that cattle mutilation is a fairly straightforward explanation. Cows will sometimes die of what's called the Clostridium bacteria. Then, as the body decomposes, uh, the body expands as it's filled with gases, and then the more fleshy areas of the cow are exposed, uh, and then those fleshy areas are munched off by scavengers. And the mm. reason why there isn't any blood is because by the time the munching occurs, mm. all the blood has coagulated. Uh, mm-hmm. Coagulated. Mm-hmm. But all all that takes quite a bit of time. And in the next episode, we'll tell a story involving the Gormans that blows that explanation completely out of the water. So speaking of which, let's talk about Skimwalker Ranch itself. Man, we're just getting to we're it. Just we're just now just getting to it. We're just fucking starting to do it. All right. Because, so, well, put it this way. So remember this. So all this shit has been going on. This is to this time, this whole area of the country is thick with wackadoo activity, a lot of tension between tribes, and now Skinwalker Ranch is going to open its doors and we're going to saunter in like me at a pants store. Oh, all right. <laughs> Confident. Now, one thing you may have noted so far, like Henry says, that none of the UFO sightings we've discussed occurred on Skimwalker Ranch itself. And if you've read The Hunt for the Skimwalker, you know that one of the first claims they make is that the center of paranormal activity in the Uinta Basin has always been Skimwalker Ranch. But that may not be true. Or at the very least, the authors of that book don't know that to be true. 
See, when Dr. Frank Salisbury originally wrote the Utah UFO display in 1973, there wasn't a goddamn word in it about Skimwalker Ranch. Mm-mm. And there are two possible explanations here. Either nothing was happening on Skimwalker Ranch, or the people that lived there just weren't telling anyone. So, Salisbury decided to find out the truth. Now, one of the claims made in Hunt for the Skimwalker is that the previous owners of the ranch before the Gormans had purchased the property in the 50s, abandoned it by the late 80s, and were happy to unload it in 1994. Furthermore, they say that the contract of sale came with a strange clause that required the new owners to contact the old ones before any digging was done anywhere on the land. Weird. Now, we don't know if the authors of Hunt got bad information or if they just fudged a few facts to make the story simpler and spookier, but this version of the story is not the whole truth, as Dr. Frank Salisbury found out. He tracked down a man named Garth Myers, who was the brother of Kenneth Myers, who had lived on the ranch with his wife Edith for almost 60 years, and Garth was the one who had negotiated the sale of the ranch to the Gormans. According to Garth, the ranch was bought in 1933 by his brother Kenneth, And as far as Garth knew, Kenneth and his wife Edith lived there without incident until Kenneth died in 1987 at age 86. Hmm. Edith continued to live on the ranch for another five years until she was moved to a rest home where she died in 1994, after which the ownership of the ranch reverted to Garth and his sisters, Helen Baxter and La Prielle Poussin. Okay. Yes. Very good. This is all very good information. I love this book. Of course. And Garth maintains that in the entire 60 years that his brother lived there and the five years that his sister-in-law lived there alone... They never once mentioned anything that could have even resembled paranormal activity. Nor did most of the townsfolk ever hear anything because the Myers were pretty much hermits. They talked to very few people in town. Hmm. However, it is possible that Kenneth just never told his brother about anything that happened on the ranch. Because Garth Myers was what you might call a bit of a fuddy-duddy when it came to talking about stories of the supernatural with Dr. Salisbury. Oh, so he's no fun to talk to. I can see the line of thought. Right, because Garth Myers wanted to come out and lay down the line and say, he wanted to lay down the law and say, nothing fucking happened on Skinwalker Ranch. My brother never said anything, but he definitely has an agenda in this. Garth Myers, from the tone in which the way Dr. Salisbury was talking about the way he was talking about it was essentially being like, this is fucking nonsense. I'm sick of people talking about it. All it does is bring embarrassing attention to my family. Well, and it makes him really, really sca- It makes him really upset. But there's also a part of it is I think that when you see when you talk about what the what the eventually the Gorman family would say is that this line, this type of person is very fucking private. And so the concept of this happening and then being national news is so embarrassing that even if it was real, right. he would deny it. They would obvi- I feel like at this point they would say no, 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 because if it was real, that would mean that would mean something wiggity that's not right with reality that doesn't fit into their current mm-hmm. mindset. Yeah, and bloody duddy indeed. Yeah, and Garth Myers was. I mean, he discounted absolutely everything. He's like, oh yeah, all that other stuff in the Uinta Basin. That's just stories. Because, right. you know, Salisbury asked him, he's like, well, what about everything else? He's like, oh, it's fine if they say that, but just know that it's all stories. It's all, all right. it's all stories. It's nothing's true. Everything's bullshit. Well, and let's sure. not forget there was a large stigma around anyone who was like, I saw an alien. They'd be like, you're of course. a yes. local yokel there who must be. Is. Well, now it's a little bit different, but no, not, it's as, not, not as bad it's- as it used to be. There still is, and it's still the same thing I want to say because a part of it is this concept that everybody made money, that like the, whoever was the Gorman family made money off the attention and the Skinwalker Ranch brought them, and all of a sudden being like, 
It only destroys your life. Every single time anybody involves themselves in the UFO world, it destroys their life. I understand. I'm flirting with it. No, I understand the danger I'm bringing to a, a life of happiness and and uh, any sort of any sort of peace it, by wanting to be a part of the UFO community. But it's fucking rough on you. It didn't destroy Tom DeLonge's life from Blink One Eighty Two. Yeah, he already it's had a lot of money to. though. He is fucking. He is. Just hemorrhaging money. Uh. He is just hemorrhaging money. It's going to ruin his life. Uh, could be. Could be. Well, in addition to pos- the possibility that Garth Myers might just be denying things for the sake of denying them, Junior Hicks distinctly remembered that back in the 60s when he was gathering stories, a clerk at the local drugstore told him that if he wanted to hear some real UFO stories, he should go talk to Edith Myers. But Hicks just never followed up because everyone just came to Junior Hicks with stories. He didn't have time to go out and seek more stories on his own. See, that is the kind of stuff that I miss with local small businesses. <laughs> they are just willing to like, oh, are you a client? You also want to be freaked out? I got yes. some words for you. I love oh, it. Oh, no, I mean, you don't get that still? I mean, I get that all the time. How many times I'm either like getting a haircut or and don't even know who I am or what I do. And they're like... Well, Hitler Clinton's definitely in charge of a pedophile army of robots. <laughs> yeah, I think you're, you're bringing to be like, a lot of oh, people. Great. Oh, cool. <laughs> I mean, now every time you talk to someone who works in customer service, they're just trying to, hey, have you signed up for Clear? Yeah. I don't want to sign up for Clear. <laughs> Tell me about the aliens you've seen over LaGuardia Airport and JFK, please. Well, then there's the matter of the digging, which Garth has a reasonable explanation for as well. He said that it has to do with oil rights because uh, the Myers retained the mineral rights of the land when they sold it, meaning that they owned any oil Underneath, should it be discovered later, which is actually a pretty common clause out west. Oh, yeah. I drink your (laughs) milkshake. So it makes sense that Garth would want to be notified if any digging should take place. Sure. But people who knew the Myers said that Kenneth was always, quote, very fussy as to where one could dig on his property back when he was alive. And when they asked him why, he was always very vague. He just said... Bad things can happen if you dig in the wrong spot. Now, they bought this land. There's a part of a tug of this. And so they went to, there are three homesteads inside of Skinwalker Ranch, which is known as the Sherman Ranch, right? There's three different areas where people could live. So they had one middle area that was completely abandoned. It was filled with these old bunk houses and shit where they said, we'll we'll go into where the, the majority of the bad activity happened. Okay. But when they went to the main homestead, when they showed up at this house, he said the first thing they noticed about the house was the fact that it had massive locks on the mm-hmm. outside and the inside. The and it had these giant past these like big gated areas for dogs and shit. Like they put up all these extra gates. And so they don't know what the fuck this is. So first they roll up in like, well, what are they being raided by something? Yeah, large heavy duty deadbolts on both the inside and the outside. That's mm-hmm. what it said in the hunt for the skimwalker. But Garth Meyer said he didn't remember seeing any of that shit. Uh, And he said that he could actually just kick the door open if the key wasn't working. But a neighbor the next ranch over said he sure as hell remembered not only the door locks, but sliding locks on all the cabinets and windows as well. Interesting. Yeah, just regular, like, you know, your kitchen cabinets, they had sliding locks to keep them closed. Sounds like child safety locks, perhaps. This is fucking the 1950s in Utah. (laughs) The kids were playing with guns. Oh, yeah, that's right. I remember that one. Kids could be kids. The Myers were a childless couple. Okay. Oh, 
But whatever the real story is, the fact remains that the Gorman family, husband, wife, and two kids, arrived on the ranch in 1994. As I said, these people were cattle ranchers. They were Mormons who had moved from New Mexico to escape the small-town gossip life so they could enjoy a secluded lifestyle that would allow them to focus on their work. Uh Uh-oh. Honestly, these were cattle ranchers. Yes, serious That said their small town in New Mexico was too gossipy (laughs) for them. So they had to move to deep Deeper, deeper isolation to run these, but they had these very, very expensive decals. Yeah, yeah, serious cattle ranchers, almost obsessive. I mean, these are the kind of people that we used to talk about all the time on Roundtable who sell that super expensive bull semen by the uh, gallon. Those mm, types of people. Yes. Yeah, also really like, expensive. Yeah, really, really expensive. expensive. Yeah, and these they also raise like extremely high quality heifers worth thousands of dollars, like show animals. Right. Like these people were fucking serious okay and once they moved in all seemed to be going well they thought they'd found their own little homestead right there in the middle of a ute reservation in an isolated corner of utah everything was going great but everything changed the day that the wolf appeared now it must be said that the father in this story told dr salisbury that this story as it appears in the hunt for the skimwalker was based on hearsay but he did not deny that something very close to this actually happened. Mm. So about five months after the Gormans arrived, the father and his kids were working cattle at a corral near their house when they saw a creature in the distance. Now, it looked like a normal wolf, but just like the aforementioned UFO sightings, as the wolf got closer, the father realized just how big it actually was. Because literally they're sitting there like, what the fuck is that thing? Yeah. And he's like, ah. and they see this thing, and they're like, oh, wolf's coming because he's fucking attracted to the cattle. Sure. Like, it's going to come yeah. around. What are we going to do? Well, the size of it was about three times what a normal wolf should be, suggesting mm. that it was actually something closer to a dire wolf, which is an actual animal that went extinct 10,000 years ago. Really? Yeah, dire, that... yeah, dire wolves are real. What about a Beowulf? <laughs> is that real? Beowulf that is, a... is a character. Beowulf is a... a man. Ah. The Grindel is the monster. I, I thought that was the location between your... That's a Grindel. Yeah. Man, I just... If I was your English teacher in school, no, I no. can imagine just looking at your big fucking head just oh, there and yeah. be like, hey, uh, hey, what about Beowulf? <laughs> like, while you're in school. And I can just imagine just yeah. cracking a dictionary across your fucking yeah. head. Got into a lot of trouble. Well, the father said that as the huge creature approached them, none of them felt like they were in any danger. They didn't get a bad feeling from it. It was like just a really big dog was coming up and saying hello. And in fact, the dog walked up. They patted it on the head. It was a good doggy. Oh, cute. But they were also like, this thing came up to his shoulders. Yeah. Right. So he went up to it and they're literally like, nice doggy. Right. Nice doggy, like patting it on its head. Well, and they said the one thing about it, it had ice blue eyes. Yeah. And it went through and it was staring through them like this wise creature that seems to like know what they're doing. Yeah. I love it. But then, before the family knew what was happening, the wolf darted over to the pens in a flash of movement ah. and suddenly had its jaws clenched around the head and neck of one of the calves. So protecting his investment, the father tried kicking the huge animal to get it to let go, but it wouldn't budge. So he sent his son to grab the 357 Magnum from the nearby truck. Go oh, get yeah. the Magnum. Cool. I love All the right. term. It's like the way they talk about the story where he's like, go get the goddamn Magnum. Whoa. He's like, yes, father. I'll get the big gun, father. Better do it. Yeah. yeah. And once the gun was retrieved, the father fired a bullet directly into the wolf's chest. 
But nothing happened. Hmm. Not only was there no blood, but the animal didn't seem to be even bothered. It took two more shots from a 357 before the animal let go. And apparently the whole family's kicking it in the side. The whole family's kicking oh this fucking wolf. Goodness. And it's just standing there like Kissel with a sandwich in its hands. <laughs> yeah, I'm not budging for nothing. You can't get that out of my claws. <laughs> but even then... After the animal let go, all it did was wander a few feet away and stare back at them. So the father sent the boy for an even bigger gun, the thirty out six. Oh, go get me the thirty out six. Get me now. Boy. Oh, go to my. my gun shed. I don't know where guns are kept. Yeah, the gun shed. Yeah, yeah cabinet, gun case, gun cabinet, gun. We had a yeah. gun room. Uh, there are some houses that have full gun sheds in yeah. this country. There's <laughs> That's no awesome. denying that. Now, a 30 6 is powerful enough to take down an elk and should have had more than enough firepower to take down a creature even as big as this. But still, a shell from a 30 6 didn't kill it. It was only after a second shot from the gun that anything seemed to happen because Slug blew a chunk of flesh from the animal's shoulder, which was finally enough to make it run off. A father and son still gave chase, trying to finish it off. They followed its tracks but about 60 yards before they reached the river that ran through the property, the tracks just stopped as if the wolf had vanished. Ooh. He said the part of it that was fucky was that the, the, the paw, like as they were going, as they were tracking the animal, the animal seemed to have been caught in this like foot deep mud and they saw these huge tracks like flip flip like it was pulling his fucking paws out of it right. and then it got to this creek bed and it just fucking disappeared. Cool. Mm-hmm. And when they returned to the pen to examine the flesh that had been blown from the creature's shoulder, they found that it already stunk like death, as if it had been blown from a rotting corpse. Cool! In the coming days, the wife of the Gorman family saw a huge wolf wandering the property as well and complained to the tribal police, come get rid of this fucking wolf! But much to her surprise, she was told that the last wolf in the area had been killed in 1929. Oh, and what's that, officer? What's that then, sir? <laughs> and that was only the first of dozens of paranormal events experienced by the Gormans, all of which will be discussed next week on Skimwalker Ranch Part 2. All right! Yes! Awesome story. This is my favorite shit in the world. This is really, really fun. Love this shit. Um, Skinwalker Ranch, part one in the books. Part two coming out next week. That will be a lot of fun. Um, Awesome. Well, thank you all so much for listening. Thank you for enjoying the episode. I hope you liked it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I hope you liked it. I will say, we did our best to try to understand quite a bit of Native American uh, lore and history. Um. But my I would love to... If anybody out there that really knows this kind of stuff wants to send us information about skinwalkers, because I'm very, very yes. interested. And the stuff that I found was like was very um, biased. And I know a lot of this stuff is very like it is shrouded in mystery purposefully. They don't want they don't like talking about it. Sure. So if you know anything more about it, please feel free to send us an email, especially at side stories, L-P-O-T-L at Gmail dot com. So I can hear more of this shit because I, I think it's interesting as hell. It is. But I know I don't know any Navajo well, and they it, won't speak to me. Well, I think it's because you're a <laughs> Very intimidating, small, scary, screaming person who is constantly I'm just, threatening I'm cute. people. If once they understand I'm cute, right, then right. it's fine. Well, if there are uh, Henry and I, you do a uh, interview series for our Patreon. Thank you all so much for giving to our Patreon. Thank you very much. If you know anyone, maybe a Navajo leader or elder uh, that would like to speak with us, we would love to talk to them. Yeah, um, about their. Uh, 
thoughts on Skinwalker Ranch and stuff like that. So yeah, feel free uh, to yeah, reach next- out. That would be really fun. Um, and thank- I'm really excited because next week we get to all this activity. We're gonna talk about fucking nids. We're gonna talk about where what who the fuck Robert Bigelow is, which I'm very very excited for. Talking about the amount of money that was put into research Skinwalker Ranch. Mm. Oh, which my my thing is about that too is being they spent millions of dollars researching Skinwalker Ranch. Millions. If something wasn't there, they wasted their money. And I feel oh. like they, uh, they there's gonna be we're gonna talk a lot about motives awesome. of the super secret UFO industry. Well. Always follow the Bigelow. I don't know why I feel that, but I just feel that. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to thank everyone who came out to uh, the Echoplex this past Tuesday to honor Kevin Barnett uh, in Los Angeles. It was a wonderful show and another great um, step in, in the healing process. Yeah. So it was really yeah. nice to see you all. And honestly, it was fun because, you know, Bobcat Goldthwait, uh, you know, Jermaine Fowler, so Bob, uh, Mike Birbiglia gave a great uh, presentation reading one of Kevin's stories. But our fan base showed up in droves. So and it hard. was so sweet to walk on stage and just feel at home. Yeah. And so it I want to thank really you so much for representing us. And yeah. I wish I could I really wish I could have been there. But. It was No, he was he was strapped to the he was strapped to the paddles of Crom, yes. <laughs> moving the grinder, being stronger and stronger every day. I it was really overwhelming and it was really very beautiful. I feel like I met some fans afterwards and I was just fucking emotionally wiped. Oh my gosh! So yeah, I feel course. like I, I wish I could have given more honestly to people, but everybody that came and showed up to see that show yeah it was it was really really nice. Thank you guys so much. Thank the, you. Again, we keep saying this, but the 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 way you guys have lifted us up. In this last month has been uh, incredible yeah. and has shown so much. Uh, I, I don't know. It's I, I can't really. I have no words. No words. A, a rare uh, sentiment uttered by Henry Zabrowski. So, yes, it was so nice. <laughs> And, you know, just on a little bit more of a selfish level, dude, we're doing so good, you know, <laughs> because it was so great to see all of our friends and fans out there. I was just walking through the crowd, waiting in line to get my BL, you know, mm-hmm. and so many people came up to me and I was just like, this is so awesome. There's so many great people on this show. And the fact that they were some people that were just like, we got tickets to see you guys was like it made it it's made really my cool, heart yeah. feel just so great. And Kevin would have loved that show. Um, um, but this is why, man, but now we're on the road. We're going to come yep. see your fucking asses. That's we're right. out there. I'm really excited. We have a bunch of other dates that we're going to be releasing soon. We can't fucking wait for that shit. Uh, we have a couple of inter. We're going international. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, we're going very international. Cannot uh, wait. Yeah, and that'll be it. That'll be announced here very soon within the next couple of weeks. But until then, if you want to see us here in America, we are going to be in Nashville oh. on. March 19th, Cincinnati on March 20th, Cleveland on March 22nd, and Pittsburgh on March 23rd. And you can go to lastpodcastontheleft.com to get tickets for those. Also, we're going to be doing a little bit of a push for your pretty face going to hell season four. Obviously, this is very much so of my interest. The boys are helpful. With allowing me to speak upon the no, show. No, of course, oh, yeah. of course. Yeah. Show. Yeah. Um, which is a part of it. So we got that kind of shit that's going to be coming out very soon. I'm going to be appearing uh. at C2E2, appear, uh, apparently, um, which will be a lot of fun in Chicago. Uh, we're, uh, man, 
It really is. What a wild year, man. Happy New Year 2019, man. Ugh. New year, new me, man. This is what we're doing. Uh, hopefully the, the year could, uh, I don't even want to say it can't get worse because next thing you know, yeah. I'm hearing news about everyone and then yeah. it's all very sad. Yes. But um, uh, yes, and if you want to, I do this. I'm, I'm the comedic relief on a paranormal show on True. I just basically do what I do here, but the guys aren't as cool as you are, oh, as you guys are. Thank you. But I do like, oh, I wouldn't go into that shed. I do a lot yeah, of that. Yes, yes. Uh, and that's on you do Travel that. Channel, and uh, it's really fun. I'm not sure when it airs, but I think it's called Paranormal Caught on Tape, and it's just you know it's just goofy. And it's a good time. It's so fun. Check that out if you want to. And uh, of course, side stories. Check out side stories. And again, we're still doing uh, the final episode of each month it's a double side stories week so we'll get into the mind of marcus parks on a different mm, level uh, yes uh, and, and actually often. thanks to everyone out there who's uh who's supportive of the idea we, we've yes. seen a lot of people out there have been very very supportive of us taking a little bit of time and uh, yes. having a bit no, of because, break you know here what, and there because it's stuff it's like you know we break. go into the skinwalker ranch and all of a sudden i was just like man this thing's so fucking deep because we're gonna do one episode on it and then you're going through and be like man we gotta fucking now we gotta do it the thick way because it's the right. only way we can fucking do it yeah, absolutely. now we're reading books I'm watching hours of bullshit so it's nice to have the extra time to be able to put together the, the fucking big titted content that we like to put out there absolutely and thanks for supporting all the shows here on Last Podcast Network mm-hmm. everything is going everything's on the incline oh which yeah is, check which out is we- nice. Wizard and the Brain incline they're sitting back sitting yeah. back um, I would say that's oh, the a recline, recline. Yeah, yeah that's a recline. recline no it's well it's yeah, they're sitting forward. Yeah. We got Page 7. We got Wizard and the Bruiser. We got Movie yeah. Side and the Mads. We got Abraham, Abe Lincoln's top hat for the um, how y'all have turned politics into sports. Yep, yep. It's it's an interesting world. It's a mad, 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 mad world. It, That's it. what I have heard. I thought there was a movie about that, I think. Yeah. And give to our fucking Patreon if you want to give three fucking ghouls cash money. Mm-hmm. Yes, that Patreon.com slash last podcast on the left. And if you want to be notified when new episodes come out on the Last Podcast Network, go follow us on Twitter at Last Pod Network. That's right. Hail Satan. Hail yourselves. Hail Yeen. Magustalations. Hail me. You, hey, if you're in Utah, watch the skies. Yeah, absolutely. Are we gonna get out? Of, I loved Utah, by the way. We're we're working we're on working on stepping around there. Maybe we can figure out somebody cake us on a little tour. Uh, Skinwalker mm. Ranch. Well, I don't. Okay. It's okay. still if you want to give us a million dollars, go to Six Flags. I mean, that's still on the table. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's on Six us. Flags on us is yeah, still on the still table. There, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's on us. T- we that's take you day. to Six Flags. Oh, it's yeah. on us. Yeah, it's on. It's <laughs> on us. No, of course, naturally. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. For 25 years, nothing has tasted better after a hard day's work than a Mike's Hard Lemonade. It's because since day one, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. We use three kinds of lemons, all handpicked from family farms then blended to perfection in cold press to create the epic hard lemonade you know and love. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. 
Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave.